Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. We recently put on a conference at High Point Church called Sexuality Everywhere. We were looking at the question, how can we glorify Jesus as sexual beings? In this breakout from the conference, you're going to hear from Luke Zika, Vince Pieri, and Nicole Kyle as they talk to teens about how Jesus knows more about sex and sexuality than either your friends or the internet. Thanks for listening. This is I'm doing great. This is why am I here right now? Any of those? Any of this? No one's participating. All right, great. <laughs> this is gonna be amazing. Uh, I don't really know. All right. Um, so the little note sheets here are for questions. So um, if a question pops up while I'm talking, just jot it down. I'll collect them, and then Vince, Nicole, and I are gonna be answering them kind of towards the end. Uh, I'll give you a couple minutes once I'm done too to write questions, but if something comes up while I'm talking, just write it down and then we can do like anonymous Q&A kind of for the last like half of this time. We want a lot of time for questions. Um, no problem. So I'm Luke, for those of you who don't know me, I work here with the student ministry. Um, and I'm excited you guys are here. I knew this would be a hard sell with the youth group to say, come to a sex conference. I was thinking when I was a teenager, I was like, I would not want to go to a sex conference put on by the church. Why would I do that? And I'm really excited that a lot of you have, have come out and you've been brave and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come. And maybe some of you are a little apprehensive, a little bit like, why am I here? Is this even for me? Um, I hope that this is a helpful time and an encouraging time and a time you leave with some questions answered, some dots connected, and I think this can be um, and should be a, a really big moment in your walk with the Lord, um, wherever you're at with this kind of stuff. So I'm going to say the word sex like a bunch of times. I, maybe we just need to get that out of our system. Maybe, let's just all say the word sex on three, okay? One, two, three, sex. All right, let's say it again. One, two, three, sex. Okay, let's get the giggles out. Let's get it out, right? Um, and we're going to be saying it a lot. So let's just get it out there. Uh, let me pray for us, and then I will get going. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord. Jesus, we thank you so much that you are um, totally crazy about us. So crazy about us that you died for us and you died for all our sin. And God, we all experience sexual brokenness in one way or another because we're all living after the fall, Lord. And dealing with our sexuality can be a really frustrating, complicated thing. And Lord, you offer us so much hope and goodness and you offer us healing um, all through um, your death on the cross, and I, I just thank you for that, Lord. Pray this would be a time where we can uh, just be open and honest with each other, where we can wrestle with our tough questions and um, just come to you and seek you out, Lord. Pray this is a day where we get to see you more clearly, learn about ourselves, um, and we take a, just a big step in our walks with you, Lord. In your name, amen. So, um, pursuing sexual purity as a teenager in the church can be a very, very frustrating thing. It can be an incredibly frustrating thing because um, as you are growing up and when you're in this age, you're starting to ask questions about sex, and that's good. 
And you should be asking questions about sex. And so a lot of us think, oh, I'm going to go to the church and get my questions answered about sex. But many of us feel like the church is not really giving us very good or very many answers when it comes to sex. You're told, hey, just wait to have sex till you're married. It's like, okay, why? Like, where does the Bible say that? Where does it say that? Why? Why is that the answer? And I think many of us feel like we sort of get a cold shoulder from the church. We don't really get many answers. I know that was my experience growing up, but this just was not talked about. I wasn't talking about it with my parents. I wasn't talking about it with my youth pastor. I wasn't talking about it. But I had all these questions, and I wanted to figure out what it meant to live as a Christian who has a sexuality. Like, how do I do this? And so because it's so frustrating getting answers from the church, what do we do? Well, we turn to the culture around us. And we say, well, what can my friends tell me? What can the internet tell me? What can society generally tell me? And it feels like society, the internet, and your friends are giving lots of answers. They're talking about it all the time. And it can a lot of times feel like their answers are a lot more helpful than the answers the church gives. What does society say about sex? What does culture say? They say, explore it. Have fun with it. You might as well just go for it. It feels good. Do it. Right? And that can feel like a lot more enticing than what the church says, which is just don't for some reason. And so as a Christian teen, it can be very frustrating feeling like your friends get to explore this. They get to, there's just freedom. They're not restricted by all these ancient rules from a book written 2,000 years ago. Why do I have to say no when it seems like everyone else can just say yes? Like, why, why do I have to do this? So it can be very frustrating trying to figure this out as a teenager. It seems like the church isn't really giving many good answers. feels like culture and society is giving lots of answers. And so the question we have to ask um, is, is society right when it comes to sex? Is what they say true? If what society wants to sell you guys, the narrative, the cultural narrative around us, if what they want to sell you about sex is true, then you might as well go live like anyone else is living. Might as well have sex. Might as well look at porn. Might as well do whatever, right? You might as well. If what society says about sex is true, then you might as well live like anyone else. But if it's not true, then we got to think about sex in a different way. Maybe the cultural narrative around us is not actually founded on truth. And so I want us to think about this a little bit before we turn to what Jesus says about sex. Um, I personally think cultural understanding of sex is really built on one key assumption. And of course this isn't going to work. So next slide. Um, I think society builds its whole narrative about sex on one key assumption. I don't know if people would necessarily say this. I don't know if your friends, when they hear this, would be like, yeah, that's totally it. But the way people behave and treat sex and the way it's actually practiced is totally predicated on this being true. If this is true, then everything makes sense. If this is not true, then I think the entire cultural narrative just falls apart. And so what it does society say about sex? I think this is what they say. You can hit the next slide. Um, sex is just physical. Sex is just a physical thing. It's just physical bodies doing physical things. And so you might as well go do it. And I think society would say, well, uh, I don't know. There's emotional elements to it. There's maybe even a spiritual element to it. Um, but the way it's treated, how we sort of just put it on the internet, how people are hooking up all the time, the cultural view of sex around us, pretty much says, I think sex is just a physical thing. 
And so you might as well just go enjoy it, you might as well explore it, you might as well just go for it. But here's the problem. I think we all know this isn't true. I think we all know this is not true. You can look next slide. Um, we all know sex is more than just physical. We all know that there's something deeper going on here. Is this working now? Yeah, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, this thing drives me crazy. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Um, we all know there's something more going on. And I think society knows this too. But this is why I think society is very confused when it comes to sex. Um, why don't you talk to your parents about sex? If sex were just a physical thing, you'd have no problem talking to your parents about it. You talk to your parents about any other topic, but you don't talk to your parents about sex. Why? Because somehow our sexuality goes deeper than just physical bodies doing physical things. It's somehow more deeply connected to who you are and your identity. You don't just sit down and be like, hey, mom, dad, here's all my questions, right? No one does that. Maybe you have parents you can talk to about that stuff. I know. I want to be caught dead asking my parents a question about sex. Why? It goes deeper. Um, why are most of our deepest secrets tend to be sexual? The things that, cause, that sort of grip us, that cause more shame, more embarrassment, they tend to be sexual. Why is that? Because I think our sexuality is tied deeper to just our body. Somehow it connects more intimately to who we are. And therefore, our sexuality sort of goes deeper than just the physical. You know, why do people who, as Lori talked about a little bit, who've been sinned against sexually, why is it so hard to get past? Why does that have such a grip? It's because I think our sexuality is more than just physical. I think there's more going on here. And this makes the entire cultural narrative just fall apart. Because when we treat sex as only physical, well, what happens? Well, we misuse it. I mean, the whole Me Too movement arose out of women saying, hey, we'd prefer not to be objectified all the time. <laughs> That'd be really great if that didn't happen so often. Well, when you treat sex as only physical, well, then women are just physical items to have sex with. But we know that's not right. <laughs> just saying that feels awful. Like, just saying that is clearly wrong. But this is the cultural narrative. Um, and when you think that sex is only physical, then I think um, how we think about our gender becomes primarily physical. Why do so many girls feel like they can't stack up? Well, because if your femininity is just tied to your body, then how you look is how you totally think about yourself. That's totally how you view yourself. But we know there's more to us than just our physical bodies. I could go on a lot talking about how I think society's understanding of sex just falls apart, but those are just some of the ways, and there's kind of going to be more of this sprinkled throughout as I keep going. But I think there's got to be a better way for us to think about sex. And I think the narrative culture selling you guys is a terrible one. I think it totally sells sex short. I think it doesn't actually um, give you guys the sex that you're actually longing for. I think there's one person who knows more about sex than society. There's one person who knows more about sex than the internet. There's one person who knows more about sex than your friends, and that's Jesus. Jesus knows more about sex than anyone. And so often we're going to these other places to get our questions answered when it's Jesus is the one who knows more about sex than anyone. Uh, the place we actually see Jesus talk about sex most clearly is when he's answering a question about divorce. So the Pharisees, they, these guys love to like debate the rules, right? They were super into that. They were very weird. And so they kind of wanted to trip Jesus up, ask him a question about divorce, get him caught up in the debate. And Jesus just totally sidesteps it, just says, I'm not even going to deal with this. And he talks about marriage. 
And when he's talking about marriage, he actually cues us in to the purpose for sex. He cues us into what it's for, what the point of it is. Like, why is there sex? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, whatever God is doing together, let no one separate. So what Jesus says here about sex, um, I think makes so much sense of our everyday experiences in a way that the cultural narrative around us just, just doesn't. What does Jesus says here? Well, Jesus says a lot of things. You might look at this and be like, Jesus does not say you should not have sex before you're married. What you're talking about, you're dumb, right? You might say that. Actually, what Jesus says here says a lot about sex. Um, and what Jesus is saying is that sex is actually more than just physical. Sex goes deeper. Sex is actually spiritual. I think it, there's two ways that we can see that Jesus says here that sex goes deeper. Um, he talks about the two becoming one flesh. Have you guys thought about this idea before? To becoming one flesh is kind of, who's been confused by this concept before? Anyone? Is that just me? Okay, a couple of us. It's a little confusing. Who's just never thought about this before ever? <laughs> okay, it's a modest people. Um, Jesus says that a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and two will become one flesh. I think what Jesus is saying in here is cueing us in that sex is actually more than just a physical act. Yeah. We're slightly losing you because there's a weird beeping yes. somewhere. Oh, is there? Yeah. yeah there is. It's very quiet, but loud enough that everyone's like. Oh no. Does Wait, where is it? Right I don't hear it. It's over. Where? Yeah, we should figure this out. <laughs> it's not this, is it? It's, no, I think it's some, is somebody's phone beeping around here. Check. Everyone check your phones. I'll be perfectly quiet for one second. Yeah. We'll find it. Uh, <laughs> is it coming from downstairs? No, it's somebody's phone in here, I think. Okay. No, it's back. I don't think it's coming from in this room. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Can we can we focus with the distracting beeping? Maybe who knows. Do our best. We'll do our best. All right. Um, okay. So back to what Jesus is saying here. Uh, so Jesus is talking to these these Pharisees, and he talks. He goes back, and he's quoting. What God said back in Genesis, right? Male and female. You guys have heard this story a million times, right? And a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And he's really talking about marriage, and he's talking about creating a new family unit. But the two becoming one flesh, we'll look at a verse in a second that shows this clearly talk about having sex. Um, but just think about that phrase that Jesus chooses to use. The two are becoming one flesh. If you tried to take that literally, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? Two people cannot physically become one flesh. It doesn't make any sense. And so I think what Jesus is pointing at here is there is a greater mystery when it comes to our sexuality. I think there's something deeper going on. I think the other way we see that Jesus is hinting at there's something deeper going on is just here at the end. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Somehow in marriage, in a man and woman coming together, God has joined them. This is a supernatural joining, a uniting. There is somehow God is in this sort of mysterious unity that a husband and wife come together when they have sex that is somehow spiritual in a way. 
And so what I think Jesus says here, the main purpose for sex, notice he does not say the main purpose for sex is to reproduce. That is a, a, a purpose for it, but that's not actually the main reason he says there's sex. I think this is how I phrase it. Um, sex unites husband and wife for life. This is what Jesus says. Sex unites husband and wife for life. What Jesus is saying is that the purpose for sex is for a man and woman to come together and be somehow mysteriously spiritually connected, united. Um, people use the phrase like soul stitched together. Okay, that's maybe a little cringy. There's a lot of like cringy phrases people use here. Uh, but I think it's totally true. Um, Greg Forrester in his chapter on Joy for the World, that's all about sex. Um, he says something that really struck me. He says, marriage does not unite husband and wife. Um, it's sex that unites husband and wife. It's not just the, the marriage, it's the actual sexual union that happens. And so this is Jesus's given purpose for sex. He says it's to bring husband and wife together, to stitch them together, glue them together in a soul level way, a spiritual way, a deeper way than just an emotional connection, a deeper way than just a physical connection. This is a spiritual connection between a husband and wife. Sex unites husband and wife for life. And this can be used for amazing things. This is an amazing gift. The fact that God's given us sex to unite you with a future companion for life. A soul-level companionship. I think now more than ever, we see the thing we are longing for is companionship. Right? There's so many people who feel like they don't have strong friendships or maybe any friendships. Ultimately, what we're after is companionship. And Jesus says, the greatest companionship I'm offering you is with your future spouse. And sex is what is going to glue you together, spiritually speaking. Because sex somehow bridges body and soul, and there's something supernatural happening when two people come together sexually. This can be used for amazing things. This can also be used for terrible things. Okay, here's where I got to do some of the, like, typical youth talk kind of things, all right, for, like, a couple minutes, because it's just got to be said. And I will sort of follow this up with some questions I know that will pop up. So kind of hang with me for a little bit. Um, this can also be used for bad things. And this is the part that's always emphasized, and I, I, it doesn't need to be said, but I, I do want to move past this. Um, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one. Flesh. This is where we clearly see one flesh meaning sex. So Paul's saying, look, if sex is this powerful thing that's spiritually uniting two people, why would you have it with someone who you are not spending your entire life with? Why would you unite yourself with someone who you, is not your spouse? You have now taken the gift, and you've given it to someone else, and you've become soul-stitched, bonded together, with someone who you're just going to break it off the next day. And now you have a mysterious, lifelong tie with that person who now you are leaving. And now you're going to go try and connect with someone else, and you have this tie that is still there. Do you not see that that is a wrong use of God's purpose for sex? Do you not see how that is misusing God's intention? Um, Andy Stanley, in his book, um, New Rules of Love, Sex, and Dating, I saw it down there. Um, it's a great book. This is really the main place he lives when he's talking to people. Because the whole don't have sex because it's supposed to be safe for the context of marriage is not persuasive. And if you look at how many times Christians have sex before they're married, it's clearly not persuasive. And so what Andy Stanley talks about, this guy's a big pastor, counseled a lot of people, works with young people. Um, he talks about how the number of sexual encounters you are having decreases your chance for intimacy and connection with your future spouse. They are inherently linked. 
Because when you are then coming into your marriage, you have created all these mysterious, like, bonding ties with different people, and you have essentially weakened your ability to connect with your future spouse. And so Andy Staley talks about if you want to fight for your future marriage, saving sex for them is the really main way to do that. Number of sexual encounters you have, your ability to connect intimately with your spouse in the future goes down. Now, I have to address, like, the, the, the illustration that's always used, that's always used in this kind of talk is duct tape. They'll be like, you're like duct tape, right? If you stick duct tape onto Kate right here and you rip it off, you know, it sticks really good at first. The first place you stick it down, it sticks great. That's like the first person you have sex with. It sticks. But then if you rip it off and put it on something else, now it's not going to stick so good, right? It's not going to be as glued. And if you rip it off again and stick it on something else, then it's, then it's even going to be worse. It's even going to be less adhesive. And this is the illustration that's always used. It's kind of good, but it's kind of bad for some reasons, too. Okay, there's a couple issues with this um, that I just want to address. Because as soon as you hear me talking about this, you're thinking, okay, if I've already messed up in this area, now I'm just a used piece of duct tape, you jerk. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me to this conference. You just made me feel like crap and told me to go home. All right, that is like the impression people get from this illustration. This is the impression that can be gotten from everything I've been saying. Um, here's why the illustration falls short, though. You're not a piece of duct tape. <laughs> you're not. You're a human, and you're someone who Jesus can absolutely redeem. Like, if you feel like, oh, no, I've messed up in this area. Oh, no, is it too far gone for me? Is it just over? That is not Jesus' message ever. Who did Jesus, like, most often hang out with? Prostitutes. Jesus hung out with prostitutes all the time. Why? Well, because he looked at them, and he didn't see a used piece of duct tape. He saw a person, an image bearer of God, and said, yeah, you've, you've slept with a lot of people, but you're not beyond redeeming. You're not beyond fixing what Jesus is for. Sexual sin is not less forgivable. One of the many sins of the church, I think, now is just treating sexual sin like it's just way worse than any other kind of sin, right? It's not, it's not true. Okay, sexual sin. Jesus died for your sexual sin. He loves you. He wants to restore you and redeem you. So I want to make sure I'm not saying that. Uh, we do want to have this youth breakout because I do want to communicate that your choices today affect your entire future, right? Like, I want to give that warning, uh, but I definitely don't want to give the impression that if, if you've messed up, like, hang with me because um, this breakout is for you, and I'm glad you're here, um, and it is not too late for you. That is never what Jesus says in Scripture. Jesus never says to anyone it's too late for you. He never says that. He says, yeah, come on. We're all broken. We all come to Jesus equally broken, equally sinful. So you are, it's not like you're too far gone or anything like that. Um, let me just, just like a couple other questions that maybe come up, come up about this before I shift a little bit. Um, the question kind of comes up like generally this argument just feels like not persuasive to especially guys. <laughs> it's like, okay, you want me to think sex is like this special thing that's going to connect me with my future spouse, and it's just stupid, <laughs> right? Like people just kind of feel that. Guys just think they want sex, and they want sex with whoever, and as much sex as possible. And I, I totally get that that's the cultural narrative, and that's what we think. And Andy Stanley, in his book, he just talks about how it's really what we are after is intimacy. It's really what we're after. Um, we can think all we want is to have sex, but I don't think that's actually um, what we're deep down longing for. 
A lot of times that feels like what we're after, but that's not really what we're deep down after. And you might come back and, at me and say, well, why do people like porn then? Porn is being used more than ever. That totally takes the human intimacy totally out of sex. And people seem to think that's totally fine, right? People seem to enjoy that. So if you're telling me sex is meant for the context of marriage and using outside of it isn't really what we're after and it's damaging, well, people watch porn all the time and they think it's fine. And I'll just, again, say I don't think it's fine and I don't think people are happy with how much porn they're watching. There are now, finally, like movements of non-Christians who are talking about porn and calling it the porn epidemic. Right? And being like, hey, this is kind of killing us. <laughs> it's kind of damaging our brains to be seeing all this sex. It's like not good for us. It's actually harming us. Um, and I've talked to Christians and non-Christians who just have experienced absolute hatred of their porn addiction. Because I think the problem with porn is when we say God says sex is really for you to connect with your spouse and be united to them. And when you say, no, 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 I'm going to take it and I'm just going to treat it like a physical thing, a commodity, just something to enjoy, um, it really becomes like a drug. I always kind of cringe at this analogy, but I think this is kind of true. It becomes like a drug where we need more and more of it to get the same effect. And that's what happens with porn. People start watching porn, yeah, it's fun at first, but then you need more to get the same effect. And you need more, and you need more. And people get in deeper and deeper with crazier and crazier stuff. And culture looks at it and they're like, it's fine, it's totally fine, it's not fine. It's clearly not fine. Like the way, like the way porn messes with us and the way, and I just, it's just, it's like, an, it's, it promises to satisfy us and it never does. Promises satisfaction, and it just never does. It always just takes and takes and takes. It promises. I've talked to so many guys. I've worked with a lot of guys on this topic because it's a huge problem for, and girls. It's a huge problem for a lot of people. And um, it's like, man, it's, I just hate it. I always think it's going to give me what I want, but uh, I just hate it. So I, I think we're offered a better way. This is ultimately good news. And I don't want this to be like a too heavy time, but this is, this is totally good news. And really the whole purpose of this, I just want to tell you, is that walking in sexual purity is worth it. It's totally worth it. It never feels worth it, right? When your youth pastor's like, be pure, you're like, no, <laughs> right? I don't, I don't want to do this. It's totally worth it. It's absolutely worth it. Sex is an amazing gift. And when it is left in its context, when it's doing its job, it's life-giving. When it is pulled out of its context, that's where it gets damaging. That's where it gets hurtful. The illustrations always use like a fire. Have you guys heard this? I'm totally reusing like every youth breakout ever. Uh, it's like fire in the fireplace is great. It's warm, you know, cooks your s'mores. It's pretty, it's really nice. Sex in the context of marriage is great. It does what it's supposed to do. It's fulfilling. But when fire gets outside of the fireplace into your living room, it starts to damage things. All right, I've never had my house set on fire, but I'd imagine it would not be fun. <laughs> imagine it'd be terrifying, right? Same thing with sex. If it gets out of its context, it just becomes damaging. It becomes hurtful. Um, what do I mean by sexual purity? I will go through three reasons I think walking in sexual purity is worth it. What do I mean by sexual purity? Um, I don't want to belabor this. I, I don't have time to like get super detailed into this. But um, obviously means not having sex outside of marriage. Um, and this means if you're in a dating relationship, this means setting up boundaries. Your body is designed. Once it starts the process that is meant to end in sex, it is designed to get it. 
Your body, Nick talked about this yesterday, assembly, your body releases drugs into your system as soon as any sexual contact begins, saying, we gotta finish. It's all biological. Okay, and Nick joked yesterday, he's like, this is why you all exist, because of those drugs. This is why we all exist. Because as soon, it starts with kissing, it starts with that kind of thing. As soon as that process starts, you are designed to finish. And it is very hard to cut that off. And so what we want in these kind of youth breakouts or these kind of conferences is, tell me all the things I can do and tell me all the things I can't do. Like, what's the line? How much can I do? And I just think that's a bad way to think about it. Because <laughs> as soon as you're towing the line, you are just tempting fate. And you are just moving closer and closer towards a regret and bringing in your boyfriend or girlfriend in, and you will become their regret. And so it's walking in purity is saying, we're gonna get as far away from the line as possible. If sex is best enjoyed in the context of marriage, why would we even tempt that? Why would we start the process? Um, so purity within dating, and then purity, as I've talked about with porn, this is something um, the church here started a ministry about this, Vince will talk a little bit about this. Um, not only not watching porn, but not looking at anything that is tempting your mind. Jesus says sexual purity starts in your mind, starts in your heart. And so porn is still taking sex out of its context and mistreating it. And I've worked with a lot of guys who've had to get rid of their smartphones, who have to have rules around when they can be around their computer. All that stuff is working through sexual purity and saying not how close to the line can I get, but how much can I guard myself and protect myself from ever getting even close to sin? Um, walking in sexual purity, it's totally worth it. You might have the question, does the Bible actually say you should have sex outside of marriage? I think most people can't actually answer this question, or they struggle to. Um, because most people point to Exodus and will say, in the Ten Commandments, says, do I commit adultery? Um, that's actually talking about a man having sex with a married woman. Like, it's that specific. It's that weirdly specific. So it doesn't really talk about, that's not really about premarital sex. Uh, there are a couple of places we do see it uh, mentioned. Now, Jewish tradition has held all the time that sex outside of marriage was wrong, and that's powerful, and that's a big part of it, but there's a couple of Bible passages we can look to. First Thessalonians 4, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust, like the pagans who do not know God. Pagans, at this point, would have just been Gentiles, would have been a random person. Their sexual ethic was weirdly similar to our culture. <laughs> We kind of think they used to be way different. No, this was very much pointed to premarital sex. They thought adultery was still wrong, right? Just like our culture does. Like everyone thinks they're wrong, but premarital sex was totally fine. And so Paul here talking to the Thessalonians by saying, don't be like the pagans. He's clearly saying, don't be having any sexual activity outside of marriage. First um, Corinthians 7 is also another place. Now for the matters, you wrote about this. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each with woman with her own husband. So Paul's clearly saying in First Corinthians 7, sex is saved for the context of marriage. So that's a, that's a good chapter to go to if you're like, where does the Bible really say that? First Corinthians 7. It's definitely Paul talks about it. Um, so why is walking in sexual purity worth it? Um, it's worth it for your future marriage. It's absolutely worth it for your future marriage. Um, as we talked about, like the soul ties thing, um, saving it for your future spouse is going to make that conversation. You're all, you're all going to have to have that conversation. Now, I'll talk about singleness in a second. Statistically, most of you will be married, so I'm kind of just assuming that a little bit. Um, but you'll have to have that conversation with your future spouse. What have you done? And it's not like your future spouse can't accept you or love you through any of your sin. 
But you can now start preparing for that conversation and say, I want that to be a good conversation. Helpful verse here. Um, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Basically, don't start having sex till you're married. <laughs> like, don't start it soon. As soon as you start that process, it's very hard to turn it off. Just, just wait. Just save it. It'll come. It'll come. But starting it now, it's just going to be a frustrating process, and it's going to hurt the rest of your life. Pastor Nick talks about, um, maybe this will persuade the guys more than the girls, but uh, people who have less sex before they're married have more sex when they're married. Why is that? Well, because when you're not married, the hard thing to do is to not have sex. That's a hard thing to do. If your girlfriend or boyfriend is going to do the hard thing for you and not have sex with you, it means they'll likely do the hard thing when you're in married. When you're in marriage, a lot of times the hard thing to do is have sex. People get busy, you have kids, it's stressful. Um, so people who wait have more sex in marriage. People who have a lot of sex before they're married, like very regularly have less sex when they are in marriage. And so don't have sex now for the more sex you'll be having in your future. Save it for your future marriage. Um, it's worth it for your walk with God. This verse, I'm trying to wrap up here, but this verse just like blew me away when I had first seen this. I love this. This promise is amazing. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. <laughs> Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. This is amazing. Like, you will have a greater understanding, a greater intimacy, a greater appreciation, a greater connection, a greater closeness with the Lord when you are sexually pure. The pure in heart will see God. God will somehow reveal himself more clearly to those who are pursuing purity. This is amazing. It's an amazing promise. Blessed are the pure. They will see God. I love this. Um, it's also worth it for your own joy, just for your own sake. Fight for sexual purity for your own joy. This, this verse is so popular, and it's only popular for this first part. Flee sexual morality. Okay, who's heard this? Okay, most of us have heard this, right? Flee sexual morality. And if this were like a typical youth breakout, not like my breakout, it would just say this, flee sexual morality, for sex is meant to be saved for the context of marriage. And for you, you're like, that's not convincing. Like, I don't care. That's not what Paul says. What Paul says is way more intense and I think way more helpful. Flee sexual morality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Isn't this so true? I can't think of any other sin besides sexual sin that causes more guilt, frustration, anxiety, um, feeling like, oh my gosh, I just, I've messed up so bad, what happened? It's exactly what Paul says. Sexual sin is against your own body. So Paul says, flee sexual morality for your own sake. If you want to be a happy person, joyful in the Lord, at peace, pursue purity. Walk in sexual purity. Sexual sin just hurts you. Every other sin is outside the body. Think about that. Every other sin is outside the body. Sexual sin, the one sin, is to your own body. Um, before you write a couple questions, let me just answer a couple that might be on your minds, and then I'm going to give kind of one challenge. Um, if you've been sinned against in any way, like I'm not really getting into that. Um, I'm sorry that's your experience. I'm glad you're here. Um, God loves you. You know, a lot of people who have been sinned against feel like, oh, this, this must have been my fault. I feel dirty. I feel shameful. It's not what God thinks about you. Um, the best thing you can do is talk to a counselor. Okay, Sue Gruen is here. She would love to talk to you. She's amazing. Um, it's really the best thing. A professional who can, like, personally walk through your experiences with you, I think, is really necessary, um, if that's your experience. Um, some of you might be thinking, what if I'm never married? Like, everything you said just doesn't matter. Uh, no, not true. Paul actually talks about singleness very positively. Um, he says singleness 
is great. He says, I wish more people will, were single. Um, why? Well, single people get to have an intimacy with the Lord married people honestly just struggle with. Paul says, you're divided. As soon as you're married, you're divided between the Lord and your spouse. Paul says, I love being single. I just get to focus on the Lord. I just get to focus on Jesus. Right? You get to have, you get to pursue Jesus in an intimate way that married people honestly just do not. And so your years right now as single people are not like pre-married, I'm just kind of waiting until my life starts. It's not true. Okay? Marriage is not like the be-all, end-all of your happiness. Right? The church kind of sells that narrative. This is not how it is. It's not how it is. It is great. It is so really great. But Paul says singleness is awesome. Um, okay. I think those are the only little things I want to do. One quick challenge for you before we do some questions. And if you want to even start writing questions, you can. Um, let me just say this. It's like the final thing that I need to say. Um, the battle for sexual purity is not won on your own. Okay? The battle for sexual purity is not one on your own. If this is the only thing you take, look up here. This is the only thing you take away from my time, I'm fine with that. If you forget all the theology and all the other crap I said, it's totally fine. This is the one thing you gotta think about. The battle for purity, it's just not one on your own. If your sexual struggle is kept in the dark, away from anyone, it is going to be pretty much impossible to work through. Now, can people work through it on their own? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know anyone who's worked through it on their own. It's worked out in community. So I know for those of you who go to High Points, I know your leader would love to talk to you um, if you go to them. At youth group the next couple of weeks, we are doing like sheer kind of classic purity nights. I know it's hard because you're in a group of like five other students and some leaders, and it can be hard. Um, that's a great time to be bold, but you might want to just pull your leader aside or pull whoever's side that you trust and say, I gotta talk to you. Whether it's a question, a struggle, an addiction, uh, maybe you've just been messing up, you're like, I just need to tell someone. You need to tell someone. For a lot of you, this doesn't feel like it can be your parents. Some of you might be your parents, which is great. Um, some of you I know you don't have that kind of relationship with your parents. Um, you gotta open up about it. We're called to confess our sin to one another. Why? Because there's power in opening up. It takes community to work through our stuff. And everyone's got stuff. Everyone's got stuff we're working through. And the battle, the battle for this, walking in purity, it's just, it's really not one on your own. It's really not one on your own strength. So, um, write some questions. I'm gonna have Nicole and Vince come up. Um, they're gonna help answer some of these questions. The Colonists are great. They are great on this topic, and they worked with a lot of people on this topic. Um, so I'm gonna collect your questions. Nicole's gonna share a little bit about her story to kind of get some context of why she's up here. And we've been trying to grab a couple chairs, and then as she's talking, I will just kind of be. Um, I think we could sit here too. Okay. Um, I'll be collecting kind of your things. So take a minute. Just right now, three seconds. This will be super helpful too. Everyone writes something. Yeah, everyone writes that something. That way, no yeah. one knows if you were the one person who had a question. Right. It's embarrassing. Everyone writes something. Yeah. And if you ever write something, I love your shoes. Sheets. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. All right, am I good to go? Um, take take twenty seconds. Okay. And write something. Sure. I was gonna sit here, or we can stand, or we can take yeah, those chairs. Yeah, those chairs fine. They didn't end not work. <laughs> Yours is not. All right. <laughs> okay, cool. All right. So just before we get into this, it's probably helpful to know who's answering these questions. So I wanted to share a little bit of my experience when it comes to purity. When I was in high school, my dad had a rule that I wasn't allowed to start dating until I turned 16. 
So about a week after my 16th birthday, I went on my first date and with someone who essentially was already my boyfriend. But um, So I went on this date, and he and I started dating. We had met at school, but we also were part of the same youth group. And um, so I kind of was like, oh, great. We've checked the Christian box. That's great. Um, but when we started dating, I was... I really felt like, okay, I understand that I shouldn't have sex, but that's basically all I understood about sexuality. And I didn't know beyond that what was okay, what wasn't okay, and it was very confusing for me. Um, and so when he and I started dating, we started getting physical in our relationship, and things went faster and farther than I thought. And so there was the part of me that was like, okay, we're not having sex, but yet at the same time, something feels off. Something feels really uncomfortable. And what I should have done in that moment was talk to somebody, but instead, I was so embarrassed. I felt so ashamed. I felt so guilty. I was supposed to be this good Christian kid. But I felt so embarrassed that I couldn't even talk to anybody about it. I didn't want to talk to my parents, for sure. And I didn't want to talk to uh, my Bible study leaders, anyone in youth group. So instead, I just stayed silent. And things kind of kept escalating in this relationship until eventually he really started trying to go farther. And I, I hit this breaking point. I was like, all right, this is it. One thing that I had heard at youth group one time was someone saying, listen, girls, if you want to know if a guy really loves you, put up a boundary and see if he'll respect it. And if he does, he loves you. And if he doesn't, he really does not love you. Don't listen to the words that come out of his mouth. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to try this. And he didn't respect it. And so I, and I honestly, I think it took another six months for me to build up the courage to break up with him. But I finally did. I broke up with him. I ended that relationship. I was like, this is great. Things are better. I can learn from this. Very shortly after that, I started college, and I started dating this new guy. And I was like, this could be so different. I'm ready for it. Nothing was different. Nothing changed. And again, I started feeling so guilty. And here's the thing I really want you to hear, too. I felt guilty on the one hand because I was like, I'm doing something that I know I shouldn't be doing, and I feel convicted about it. I feel like this is wrong. But on the other hand, I also enjoyed what was happening. And I felt really guilty about that, too. And the fact that I liked what was going on in the relationship made me even more afraid to talk to anybody about it. Made me feel more nervous about it. So I had an accountability partner. The whole point was for us to be able to share these struggles with each other and encourage each other. And I would just lie to her because I was so filled with guilt and shame about what I had been doing in this relationship. So by the time that boyfriend and I broke up, I really knew that I ha what I needed to do in order to be obedient to what God had asked me to do required strength. But everything that I had seen until that point was like, Nicole, you don't have any strength. And so I started feeling like this was impossible. Like it was impossible to have purity in a relationship. My non-Christian friends didn't think it was a big deal. My Christian friends, I knew there had to be more people like me who were just like keeping these things secret and hidden but still feel feeling this way. So I just felt like, what in the world am I supposed to do? But here is why I didn't believe that it was impossible. I had seen God do seemingly impossible things in other areas of my life. So I dealt a ton with pride, and I thought I was so much better than everyone around me in a lot of ways, and God rid me of that. He really humbled me and showed me how to not live that way. He was able to help me stop gossiping about friends. And then I saw 
victory in my other friends' lives in other areas. I saw friends who had crippling, crippling and gripping insecurities who were free from those things. Things that felt like they were impossible, God made possible. And so I felt like, all right, if that's true in other areas of my life, it must be true when it comes to sexuality as well. If I really am going to believe that he is who he says he is, then I'm going to believe it in the area of sexuality too. So I decided, all right, I know myself. I know that these temptations for me are strong. I know that I haven't done a good job of it in the past. And so I'm willing to do whatever it takes to not feel the shame and guilt again, to live in the life that God had for me. And so I decided to take a really, for me, it felt like a really drastic measure. And now I'm so thankful for it. But before I started dating anybody else, I just, I made this decision and I committed this to God that I was not going to kiss anybody until my wedding day, moving forward. And the first time I ever heard somebody else talk about that, I was like, you are so crazy. That is so stupid. Why would you do that? And here I was three years later, making that same commitment because I didn't want to live in the shame and guilt that I was ridden with for years. And I wanted to experience the goodness that God had for me. And let me just tell you, it was so much better. I felt like, because here are some objections you could have. Like one objection is, well, it's not possible to remain pure in a relationship. Okay, well, my husband, who I'm married to now, we did experience that. I sat so nervously across from him to tell him, like, right after our first date, we were sitting at a noodles right here in Addison, and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to tell him that I'm not going to kiss him. And he was, he had felt convicted of the same thing. So we did it. We held hands. I kissed him on the cheek. We hugged, but that was it until our wedding day. So, so you're wrong if you think it's impossible. It's not. It is possible. Some people would say, okay, sure, maybe it's possible, but it's not better. That sounds miserable. Mm. No, you want to know what's miserable? What's miserable is feeling guilt and shame all the time for the things that you've experienced. That is miserable. What's miserable is when I talked to my husband and said, listen, for these years leading up to us meeting, I wasn't thinking of you. That was heart-wrenching to tell him that. That was miserable. But being able to have freedom in a relationship, that was wonderful. To enjoy our time together and not feel sexually frustrated because we started something we couldn't stop. Or not feeling like, will we or won't we make out tonight? I don't know. I didn't have to worry about that. I knew we wouldn't. And then we would just have fun instead and talk to each other instead. For people who think, Okay, maybe that's possible for you, but I don't have self-control, and I can't. I'm not strong. No, I was in your shoes. You do, because you have the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, who is able to do this in you. He wants this for you. He will make it possible for you. So it's not impossible. And then I love what Luke was saying, that uh, if you feel like, okay, but I am too far gone. No, that's wrong, too. You're not. Mm-hmm. There is so much forgiveness and freedom. God forgave me for my past and made a way for my future. And he wants to do that. That is why Jesus died and rose again. So that every area of our lives could be redeemed and restored and reconciled back to God. And so that they could be made whole. Every area. And so just because something happened in your past does not mean that God is done with you or has set you aside. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit of what my story looked like. And I hope that... You can identify with me in some way because I'm, I've been where you've been, yeah, whatever man. path you've walked. Yeah, that's really helpful to call. Yeah. Um, Things are going to say a little bit. Yeah, we want to get some questions soon, right? 
Yeah, so it's 11.25, so we have some time for questions. So you want to say... It's 11.45? 11.25. Oh, 25. So maybe like three or four minutes. First, I'm yeah, I can give the 30 seconds. Give the 30 seconds. Why are you in this seat? So why should they listen to Vince? Well, um, so I grew up uh, in church, and um, my parents were really, really strict when I was little. Like, we weren't allowed to watch movies or listen to much music, or like very, very almost like Amish. Um, yeah. Seriously, long. That's I won't yeah, get into all that. But when I was um, when I got into high school, I started going to church, kind of like High Point, and started going to youth group, and started going to public school. Big change all at once. And I had grown up hearing all these things were bad. You know, movies are bad, music was bad, and all this, and sex was bad. I had also grown up hearing that. And then my parents were like, "Actually, movies aren't bad, and actually, music isn't bad." And I was like, "Well, maybe the <laughs> sex part isn't really bad either," because they told me that part was bad. So, um, I don't really know when I became a Christian. You know, like I said, I grew up in church, but from um, senior year of high school until I was 23, I did not make any attempt to walk with God, really, in most ways. Um, so, you know, I won't get into all the details, but if I have, um, you know, all the things, basically, were totally, uh, like, one of the central parts of my life for many years. So I would I would put myself in like the very much sexually addicted category for those five years. And um, coming out of that was kind of the start of the beginning of me actually walking with Jesus. Um, there was someone who mentored me and discipled me um, like and helped me get out of it. And helping other people get out of it is now one of um, the main things I love doing being on staff at a church. Um, when I came on staff, there were so many guys who w were struggling with this and kept coming to me because they had heard my story that I had been addicted for a long time in like all different ways. Um, and so I kept meeting with guys one-on-one -on -one, and then there be started kind of becoming too many that I could meet with and still do other parts of my job. So we started a ministry here at High Point called Forgiven and Free that has a bunch of guys in it. It's kind of always growing. Um, and uh, yeah, it's huge, it's huge. So I'm very passionate about helping people walk in purity. There's always hope for you. Mm -hmm. Statistically, um, the majority of the guys in this room are stuck in some kind of sexual addiction right now at your age in high school, even though you go to church. Uh, statistically, and I don't know your stories, but most of you are likely. So there's hope and there's an amazing youth group and there's leaders who wanna help you. And um, can they come to Forgiven and Free? And you're welcome to come to Forgiven and Free as well. We've had some high school guys come to it. Mm -hmm. It's on Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. We made it at a difficult time on purpose so that only people who really wanted to get free would come. Uh, you can go to hypochurch.org slash forgiven and free and get a little more info there. Yeah. But, um, and yeah. I'm there. I, I'm spotty in attendance, but I'm only spotty because I'm doing youth group things and weekends, retreats and stuff, but yeah, yeah I'm also, I'm also pretty involved with it, yeah. yeah. So you'll know me at least if you come. Um, yeah, and anyone who's like, you know, kind of going back to this point, what I've been saying, anyone who's opened up to me about a struggle, I never look down on them. I always think more highly of them. I'm always like, wow, that took a lot of courage yeah. for me to open up. I Absolutely. just assume everyone's struggling with things. Some people actually come and tell me, hey, I'm stuck in this. I've got this addiction. Hey, I'm having sex. Hey, I'm doing whatever. 
I'm always like, great, thank you for telling me. Let's work through it, I wanna help you through it. Um, and that is gonna be the environment of freedom and free, that's gonna be how your leaders um, talk to you. At, if you're in a different church, I'm sure the youth leaders there are gonna respond like that as well. Yeah, I said, you know, guys, but the statistics for women are like almost as high. So if mm -hmm. you're a girl here and you're struggling with pornography or, or acting out in, in any way, um, know that you're not alone in that, in that either. Yeah. So, good chunk of questions here. One of the, a couple, there was a couple questions on, okay, if you're struggling with a sexual addiction, how do you get free? You guys want to talk about, I know you were just talking about that, but anything else you guys want to say about that? If you're in a struggle, um, mm -hmm. what can you do to fight that or get through mm -hmm. that? That hasn't been said already. Um, a couple quick things come to mind. Um, talk to somebody. So Luke mentioned this before, for some of you that's going to be able to be your parents, um, and for some of you it's not, but maybe it's a youth leader, maybe it's um, a really good friend of yours, or a friend's parent, because your friend's parent has really cared for you. But the first thing that I would say is talk to somebody. Um, we, the, the scripture that talks about when we bring things into the light, there's so much more opportunity for us to grow in them, but when we hide them, that's when you feel like you're alone, that's when you feel like you're the only one who's doing that. So yeah. share it with somebody. And then also there are a lot of good programs that are helpful. So things like there's, a, there's something called Covenant Eyes, but it's a way that you can monitor what you're looking at online. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very real, like for some people, you need help outside of yourself. And so it's using something like that. It'll block websites or it'll send an email to a friend of yours when you do go to that website. But I think you've got to really get to the point where you're like, I'm serious about this. I'm yeah. going to talk to somebody. I'm going to ask for help. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, now with smartphones, I know you guys are told this all the time and it's yeah. I get annoyed with it, but it is true that porn is just a thousand percent more available now than even when I was your age, yeah. which was not that long ago. I didn't have a computer. There was like one like computer in our main living room, which was dialogue, which you like couldn't use when someone was using the phone. Do you guys even know about this? I, it was very hard for me to even access it. Um, so I really sympathize with you guys. This is a struggle. Like porn is just like after you. And, and so if you're struggling with it, yeah, Satan's biggest lie to you is it's, you're the only one who struggles with this. You're the only one, the people are gonna reject you if you open up about it. Is, that is Satan's lie, that is not from the Lord. The Lord wants you to experience freedom and growth, and um, people will really love you through it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, say something as soon as you feel like the Holy Spirit is convicting you of it. Because the longer you wait, the more reasons you're going to come up with why you shouldn't say something. So, like, say something right away. Literally, if you need to lean to your neighbor right now and whisper in their ear, can we talk? In, like, after this is over, then do that. But as soon as you have the courage to say something, mm -hmm. do it. Yeah, we just wanted to talk real quick. Like, um... If you have, like, does anyone know of somebody who you went to school with or a friend of a friend who, like, had, like, a drug addiction? Raise your hand if you do. Okay. Probably most of us, right? So the same way if you find out, like, one of your friends is on um, heroin or something, um, your advice to them wouldn't be, like, dude, you should really try to stop using heroin. Like, it's always to get help. It's always to go to a program. It's always to talk to somebody. It's always to do whatever stuff needs to happen. Sexual addiction, you can function more easily than if you're on heroin. Like you can have a relatively normal outward life where heroin or something like that is gonna come to the surface in all sorts of ways, but it's not any easier to overcome in a lot of ways. In some ways it's easier, but in terms of you don't always have to go to inpatient. 
But it's the same in the, in the sense that I've never met anyone who's ever gotten out of sexual addiction alone. Never. Never even one time. No one has ever said, well, I was looking at pornography or I was messing up with my girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever and um, came out of it without getting help. So I would say if you want to get free, you've got to talk to somebody. Yeah. Yeah, it's big. A uh, couple questions on when's a good time to start dating? Mm. You guys think? I'm making them do all the work right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, this is obviously not something that's in the Bible. Um, and I think it's a little bit of a gray area, but I do think, um, I, re I definitely regret like the relationships I had in high school because um, the purpose of dating mm -hmm. is to marry somebody. Yeah. Right? That's why we date. The relationship, if you ever get in a relationship to say, I'm gonna have a romantic relationship with this person and I'm planning on an ending, it will for sure end in heartbreak for one or both of you. So you're gonna either have your heart broken or you're gonna have broken someone else's heart, which feels just as bad, if not worse. So. Um, if there comes a time in high school where you think, I might actually want to marry this person in a few years, that's not impossible. Like mm -hmm. my, um, my, one of my best friends in high school married the person who was dating in high school. But because it's so early in your life and you're likely not going to actually get married for a long time, um, that's something you want to bring other people into to <laughs> talk to your parents and their parents and say, hey, we really like each other to the point that we might want to get married someday. What should we do? How do we walk forward wisely? And then that's the only time dating in high school really makes sense. Yeah. If it's just a high school dating relationship, it's just like for the sake of dating, it's just going to end in heartbreak. That's the talk, same thing I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah. Nick talked a little bit at the assembly yesterday about how people date in high school. They tend to like I, I started dating freshman year of high school, and I just like ditched all my friends. I was like, bye. I don't need you anymore. I got a girlfriend, and then I broke up with her, and then I was like, now I, no now I got no one, and I like yeah. keep crying back. I was like, take me back. They're all like, you were a jerk to us, <laughs> and that's just what tends to happen. People who date in high school, they tend to get really focused on their boyfriend or girlfriend. And they don't develop good friendships with people of their gender. And then they leave high school without having developed really strong friendships, without having learned how to make friends and walk with friends. And you, you kind of leave without a really key part of your development having happened. Dating doesn't really, if you're not dating someone you're going to marry, you're not really developing yourself in any way. So just focusing on having friends and your walk with the Lord at this time, mm -hmm. um, I think is great. It's like at this point, people are dating earlier, but getting married in their like late 20s. They're like dating when they're 12 and getting married at 30. It's a problem. <laughs> right? It's just not easy. It's just such, such a huge gap. So um, kind of the don't awaken love before it's ready verse, I think, kind of comes in. Okay, so a whole bunch of questions about, like, is kissing a sin? So the question that came up twice, which I knew was going to come up, is masturbation a sin? What do you guys want to take that? I'll take that. Is kissing a sin? Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, which coming for me because I said I decided not to kiss. Uh -huh. um, so... I don't think that kissing is a sin. What I think is that this is a huge question of what is wise for you. What is helpful for you? And also, if we're talking about this whole concept of like, don't start something that God planned to end in sex. Okay, so 
You, how many of you have like a younger sibling? Or just a sibling in general. Okay, a lot of you have siblings in general. Like, especially when you're younger, you like, you might kiss your sibling on the cheek, or like you kiss your parents on the cheek, or whatever. Or, like, some of you are like, should I get that? Never. Never. Yeah. Okay. But there's a way that you can kiss somebody that is not sexual at all. Then, and maybe this is going to make you squirm a little bit, there is definitely a way that you can kiss somebody that even if it's just a peck on the cheek, triggers something and says something. And at that point, that is supposed to end in sex. And when it doesn't, it's frustrating. You may have experienced that. It is frustrating to like start this train and then not, I don't know how to end that metaphor, but to start this thing and for it not to be able to go where it's supposed to go. So, no, I don't think that kissing is a sin outside of marriage. I do think that in many, many, many instances, especially for people who are have hormones raging and are figuring out this new life with this new body, which makes you feel weird, but whatever, it's probably not wise for you to do that. And that's where the question comes in. What is wise and what is foolish? Yeah. And we, I mean, we've talked about this in the main sessions. We think that these things that are foolish are really going to give us life and happiness, and they don't. They just they just make you so upset and yep. frustrated and lead to death. There's a whole bunch of things that are not sin but are unwise. So, like when my wife and I were dating, we did not hang out late at night alone, cuddling mm -hmm. on the couch. That is unwise. Is that sinful? No. Is it unwise? Yes. Of course it's unwise. Where's that going to go? And so we hung out in little places. We went to the park and threw frisbees. This is what we did while we did. We did not hang out alone because why would we put ourselves in that situation? So these are areas of, of wisdom and managing, okay, what is wise here? What is going to end well and what's not going to end well? So the what's sinful and what's not is... Oftentimes kind of not, question. It's kind of the wrong question. It's kind of a wrong question a lot of times in life. Yeah. Um, we're very like, our society is very like, what's wrong? What's right? And the Bible talks about this whole wealth of area that's wisdom. You know, how much Netflix should you be watching? It's a question of wisdom. Is it sinful to watch, like binge watch a show in a whole day? Well, uh, you know, I don't know. Like, it, it might be. It probably is. Um, can I be okay sometimes? I don't know. If you're sick at home and you got nothing you can do, I don't, like, it's an area of wisdom. you got to sort out and think through, right? Um, okay, the masturbation question. Vince, do you want to take that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, there's a verse in the Bible. I think it's First Thessalonians. And I think you might have even had it on the screen, Luke. Yeah, that says, so. um... There should um, not even be a hint oh, no, of sexual immorality among you. So the standard for sexual immorality is not even a hint. Um, I don't think, so like Nicole was saying, a kiss on the cheek, there's like a line, well, is this sexual or is this not sexual? Maybe like a side hug, you can maybe hide you know, side hug someone in a way that's totally non-sexual, but you maybe could do it in a sexual way. Um, I don't think you can masturbate in a non-sexual way. Does that make sense? Like, just because you're not, maybe even if you can do it without fantasizing, like if you walked in on someone masturbating, you would very much feel like you walked in on someone doing a, a sexual thing. It would not feel the same way as somebody, you know, scratching their back 
or you know stretching or brushing your teeth. You know, um, people say, well, if I'm not lusting in my head when I masturbate, and if the Bible doesn't have a specific part that says don't masturbate, well, maybe it's fine. The Bible says not even a hint of sexual morality, and um, an orgasm is the the most sexual part of sex. It's the climax of sex. It's the most intense part of sex. So to try to take an orgasm or masturbation out of the context of sex to me doesn't make make any sense at all. So it's a sexual act, even if you're by yourself, it's a sexual act happening outside of the context of marriage. Mm -hmm. So I would say the answer is no, you cannot. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll follow up on that. Um, because it's something, there's not a verse in the Bible like thou shalt not masturbate, right? And so this is to fall in the wisdom category. Um, if this is your struggle, okay, you know, it's a very hard struggle to get over. It's very difficult. And guys feel tons of shame when it comes to this. Not just guys. Not just guys, yeah, totally. And it's, yeah, I don't want to say this. If this is your struggle generally, um, we feel a lot of shame about this, a lot of frustration. Um, this is something just to continually take back to the Lord, right? To continually work with Him on. Um, yeah. And talk to people. Yeah, and talk to people and work through it. Um, and if you're fighting the pornography lust side of things, like the temptation to masturbate is just going to go down, okay? So that is sometimes when I'm talking to guys, like the place to really start, just well, if your mind is, if you take all that stuff out of your mind, it's just not going to be leading to other stuff. So, um, yeah, I think that they're, they're obviously linked, right? But yeah, this is your struggle. Just keep, work, keep bringing it to the Lord, bring it to someone. Um, the Lord is not, I just know anytime I messed up with that, I was always like, God hates me, I'm not even a good Christian, right? It just creates a lot of shame. Um, again, Jesus is all about forgiveness, reconciliation, redeeming you, restoring you. He's about all that is in the business of that. So that's your struggle. Um, just remember the gospel. Like, like the gospel, like your guilt and regret is not going to fuel change. Gratitude at what Jesus has done for you is what's going to fuel change. Amazement at how much God loves you is what's going to fuel change. So that's the place to go just in your own heart as you're working through this of, okay, what does God say about me? What's the truth about me? And kind of work from there. Um, so question, what can guys and girls do together that glorifies God in, in dating? Like if you're, how do you maybe a little bit yeah, like frisbee? Staying pure frisbee. I think that especially in your age, and maybe we'll do fast answers so we can get to yeah, some let's get some fast answers. In yeah. your age, what I would say is like hang out in groups of friends and grow relationships in the in groups of friends. And so things that you can do in those groups of friends, those are great things that you can do, or with your families. Honestly, those yeah. are great things that you can do to glorify God while dating someone if you're in high school. Mm -hmm. There's a verse that says men should treat younger women as sisters. Uh -huh. That's just like a general, hey, if you're a man and you're in a community, just pretend like all the women are your sisters. So if you are in a dating relationship in high school and you choose to treat the other person in terms of physical stuff like you would a sibling, I think that brings God tons of glory. Mm -hmm. And tons happiness. Of glory. And happiness. it makes him really happy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'll just take this one. This is, because I was even going to mention this and then I forgot it. Um, is it okay for schools to be teaching safe sex? Like, should schools teach abstinence? Um, so this is sort of part of the problem, like part of why I think culture views sex as physical. What do they teach you? Um, prevent STDs and unwanted pregnancy. 
those are the physical consequences of having sex. And so what they're kind of telling you is that if you guard yourself from the physical consequences, you're fine. Because sex is just physical, so guard yourself from the physical. Um, I still think teaching safe sex is wise, but I think that's why the church has to come in, and because we talk about the spiritual side of things. There are physical consequences to sex that do need to be trained and do need to be taught, honestly, um, but there are also spiritual consequences to sex that the church should be talking about a lot more. So I think it's a school, church need to sort of partner together kind of a thing. Um, so a couple of questions on like explaining our views to friends. Like, How do we talk about this with friends who are disagreeing with us? Um, how do we talk about our friends with sexuality? How do we explain our views? Mm. Um, cool question on that. Anything mm. to say on that front? Um, I think the biggest thing is that your goal and your relationships with people who, and if this, I'm going to talk about this as if this is a friend who's not a Christian. Your, uh, your goal in your relationship with that person isn't just to convince them to stop having sex. Mm. Your goal in that relationship is for them to see Jesus, to see what a wonderful, amazing Savior he is, and to try and bring them into a relationship with Jesus. That is your number one priority. Mm. It's not to convince them to stop doing these different things. It's not to convince them to change their sexual orientation. It's not to convince them to stop having sex. It's to show them, look at Jesus. This is my Savior. I want to tell you how amazing he is. All those other things, those you can worry about later. But it's high school is not the time for you to just get really good at debating people and being a jerk. Yeah. That's right. not what you should be worrying about. No. How can you love this person? Yeah. And how can you be kind to them and share the gospel? I was with them? terrible at that in high school. I oh, just me argued too. with everyone. Oh, yeah. it's the babe. I just look back like that was not helpful for no. you. That's um, not gonna change their mind about Jesus. No. And that's what you want for them. Um, so it's an interesting question. Jesus never had sex, so why should we believe what he tells us about sex? It's mm, kind of an interesting question. question. Um, do we do that? Are we over time? Yeah. We're a little over time. Uh, let's have a quick thought. Yeah, let's do this. So if, if you are um, a Christian and you believe Jesus is God, I think it's John actually says that um, it's through Jesus that the world, including all of us, was created. Mm -hmm. uh, so Jesus, when he came to earth as a man, did not have sex. But Jesus, as um, the creator of the universe, invented sex. So he knows all about it. He wired us the way we are and the way we're not when it comes to sex. Um, so that's why I would. I'd say, man, I'm going to trust the inventor. If you're here today and you're not sure if you believe Jesus um, is God, or if you're not sure if you're a Christian, um, then I would say start there first. If you um, don't believe he was God, then there's literally no point in doing anything he says. And I would say, don't don't try to obey this guy just because he was some dude who told people what to do. Right. You know, you got to first wrestle with you if you believe that God sent him in the world as our savior, as God in the flesh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, all of our sexuality is not just wrapped up in sex. <laughs> Otherwise, anyone who is single and unmarried would never be fully living out their sexuality. But Jesus fully lived out his sexuality. He just didn't experience intercourse in the way that someone who's married does. But not not in another way either. So it's, I think that that's a part of what we need to understand too, is that how we, sex is supposed to be uh, a way that we explain the mystery of the relationship between God and his church, but there are ways that singleness embodies that as well. And so just because he didn't have sex doesn't mean that he didn't have a sexuality. He did. Sex is just one part of our sexuality. Yep. 
Yeah, that's good. All right. Um, I hope this has been helpful. I'll pray to close, and then um, we. It's lunchtime. Yeah, so it's yeah. lunchtime. So we are, you guys are kind of on a team track. So how it's going to work is you're going to be back up here with Lori Krieg. Um, so she's going to be talking to you guys at 12.50. So I'm excited for that. She's going to do a lot of Q&A as well. Um, so bring some questions for her. And then we'll close by going to Adam Avery's session. You'll be with like a bunch of other people. Um, and that'll kind of be the day. So let me pray for us. And then we'll head out. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for... Um, Giving us the gift of sex, you don't call it dirty or wrong or sinful, and um, that's how a lot of us feel when we come to the church. Um, we just feel bad and frustrated, and Lord, you invite us to um, experience sex in an amazing way. You invite us to experience it the way you designed it. So Lord, we're all experiencing brokenness in this area in some way, and we are not alone in that. So Lord, I pray that this would be a step in our healing and in our growth. God, thank you for loving us and just constantly inviting us back to yourself. Even when we keep messing up, you just invite us back in. So Lord, I pray that we would come to you and be amazed by you and your love. Thank you for everyone here, God. We love you in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us online on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or otherwise share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways that we have to reach new listeners. So until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.